Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Ben Stewart Podcast. I'm really excited about this episode because we're going to be talking about something that you know I've been nerding out on for some time, and that's the physical body. It's understanding a deeper, more intuitive, and communicative level of the human body and how we interface with it. So our guest today, as an, ex- as an ex-professional athlete who overcame a career-threatening injury with alternate treatments, Sean has personal experience of how holistic approaches to healthcare can provide benefit to people. Sean Johnson is a natural therapist clinician, helping a broad demographic of humans understand and navigate various modern lifestyle ailments by combining different therapeutic approaches to healthcare. With a BA degree in psychology and anthropology and honors in psychology for applied context, a qualified teacher, ultra marathon runner, as well as various natural therapeutic qualifications. He treats, speaks, and provides insights on various topics from managing stress, optimizing health, and ways to maximize the human potential in personal and corporate spaces. Ladies and gentlemen, can't wait for this one. Let's get Sean Johnson in here on the Ben Stewart Podcast. My man, Sean, how are you doing today? Ben, good in yourself. Doing real well, man. Doing real well. So you are hailing from South Africa, correct? That's right, Johannesburg. So it's, I know, I think it's 5 p.m. your time. It's 11 p.m. my time, yeah. 11 p.m., right on. Mm. Yeah, so, um, dude, thank you so much for coming on the program, and I'm excited to talk about the human body. I guess, like, a great launching point would be... At what point for you did the body and the way that we treat the, let's say, the uh, musculoskeletal structural integrity, just the the love for the body, when did that start for you? I think it's always pretty much been, you know, quite a fascinating thing for me. Uh, Growing up, I was uh, an overweight child. I could probably still consider myself that. Um... But, um, you know, I, I battled with a couple of things when I was younger, uh, my knees, uh, my lower back, even through school. But, uh, you know, back then, uh, you were pretty much treated, uh, you know, in a traditional sense. So a physiotherapist or, uh, you know, I didn't even really have much exposure to chiropractic work when I was growing up. Um, and then at, when I was 25... Uh, in my second year as a professional rugby player, I damaged, I herniated a disc in my back. And uh, I didn't respond to conventional treatment. And, uh, you know, uh, I'd been playing rugby in Australia and I came back to South Africa. And uh, as I said, I didn't uh, respond to conventional treatment. And... uh, you know, my next option was surgery, and I was, you know, I was hesitant. I didn't want to go that route. I was 25 at the time. Uh, the surgeon said to me, "Look, my career's over. You, you know, you'll never play again." And uh, I was obviously devastated, but uh, I didn't want surgery, and so I just said, "Look, I'm going to try and sort it out myself." And in that time, uh, my mom phoned me and said, "Look, she's read an article on something called Bowen therapy," and uh, 
uh, I said, geez, you know, what a coincidence. I've heard about this stuff playing in Australia. You know, I'd come across it, but I'd never been for treatment there. And long story short, uh, I went for treatment, uh, never had back surgery. Um, I went back to playing rugby. Uh, I played for another five years or five, six years and then retired because I was just, you know, tired. And I was so taken by it because it, it was, you know, it was really like sort of light touch and uh, treated the body in a very holistic sense. And so I started studying it part time uh, because I, I literally, it just, it, I didn't understand it, you know, it didn't make sense to me. And so uh, I qualified. Uh, and when I retired from rugby, it's, it's kind of, I coached for two years, which uh, I didn't really enjoy. And so as we were just chatting off air about 10 years ago, I said to my wife, look, this, this is what I should be doing with my life. You know, this is my calling. Um, and yeah, uh, you know, kind of went into it full time because the previous six years before that I'd been, um, working part time in it, you know, not, not as a profession. So, uh, that's my sort of short story into how I do what I do now. So what was the, was it one defining hit that um, herniated mm. that disc? It was probably Look, chronic mm. over time, but <clears throat> just curious, yeah. was there one I was defining actually, injury? No, I was, uh, it was preseason testing. I was squatting in the gym with a, a lot of weight. That was probably a little bit too heavy for me at the time. But also, you know, my life, I was, uh, you know, kind of going through a lot emotionally, uh, you know, even sort of different things going on in my life. And, you know, looking back now, the work that really needed to be done, along with the physical, and I did do it, was the sort of uh, emotional release of things, you know. And... Uh, you know, I'd always had an understanding of, you know, the mind affects the body. But, yeah, I had a first a first-hand experience of it, uh, you know, for for me to discover and understand exactly how everything is so intertwined. And um, at the time, you know, I can remember having a conversation with my sister and she said, oh, you know, and this was before I discovered, you know, my panacea of, of Bowen therapy, my sister said, look, you know, everything happens for a reason. And I was like, I'm going to hear this, like <laughs> mama jumbo, you know, uh, but, you know, to be fair, looking back, uh, perhaps, you know, perhaps this, you know, sort of year and a half I spent playing rugby in Australia was simply to hear those words, Bowen therapy, who knows? Wow. So <clears throat> I want to hear a little bit more about how it connected for you emotionally. Like what was, what was the impetus for an emotional release at like what you know at, at what point did you did it just smack you over the head you know these two things the physical body and your mental emotional state are, are super entwined what was that for you uh look i always had a you know it, it's very different having a a notion of idealism versus the pragmatism so you know i'd studied and and read a lot of stuff on you know how the mind interplays with the body and 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 that sort of stuff um I, I think to be fair i was carrying quite a bit of uh sort of i don't know what the correct word or term would be but sort of family lineage karmic type stuff yeah um, yeah trauma that, that I, epigenetic trauma that, that transcends there we go. Yeah, that's beautiful yeah. yeah i like that um and so uh 
you know, uh, along along with you know with bone therapy, it's it it was like a really big awakening for me. And so when I qualified and I started my my clinical work, even the part-time stuff, you know, when people would come in and I, even to this day, people come in and they say, I've got back pain, I've got knee pain, I've got, you know, and great. I, I gather that. But what I'm looking for is what's the story the nervous system is telling? Because, you know, we all, we all have egoic stories, which is great how we define ourselves and it gives us a sort of, um, navigation point in the world, but underneath who you are, there's a nervous system that's processing stuff from your subconscious that you might not even be aware of. And you know, sometimes all it takes is just joining the dots for people, making them aware of what what's really going on. Because people will come in with back pain, and uh, just uh, you know, as an example, and they'll you know they're going through a divorce, they've just lost a business, they've lost a spouse. It doesn't matter, but that that stress of that, and I mean, you know, I can discuss the physical mechanics of it. Uh, the stress of that uh, is actually, you know, what's what's giving them the back pain, and you know, the medical fraternity might sort of frown upon that, but that sort of view. But uh, uh, you know, some some things are true whether you want to acknowledge them or not. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. I was just reading um, Oneness versus the 1% Vandana Shiva and what's interesting, what the parallel between one part where she's talking about empirical reductionism, which yeah. is reductionism is, is okay if, if you understand the limits of w what it is that you're deducing. You're deducing like, well, every time these, you know, this rooster and this hen get together, you know, like it, it fertilizes the eggs and that's empirical reductionism, whereas fundamental reductionism is assuming you know the way the world works it's making a statement that reality is this and it kind of seems that the medical world they've made that statement that nothing is true until we the authorities have covered yeah. the metrics by which we can explain it um sure. and i can play, and, i've 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 experienced back pain um and and radiating pain in, in ways where i've also noticed this this is definitely attached to a story, you know, now I've had back pain from injury as well, but I, I've definitely connected those dots before. And when I started, I, I don't really do like hands-on physical training with people, but I have had clients before that have had back pain. And one of them was asking like, you know, I, I've had this debilitating back pain for a while. There's no injury. There's no explanation for it. I don't, I don't get it. I just want it to go away. And I remember telling him, I was like, well, have you sat with it and, and engaged with it as if it was a messenger that you're not just going to throw out throw out of your house until you, you know, have an answer, right? That's like telling the messenger to leave before you deliver delivered the message, just because you don't want to deal with the pain of the obvious truth of whatever message they're giving you. Um, have you have you noticed? And is there like a through line? And I definitely want to get into like what are the specifics of Bowen therapy? What makes Bowen therapy mm -hmm. Bowen therapy? But like, I also want to know. Like, is is there a specific through line for people that you notice like, OK, this definitely isn't an injury and the, the pain isn't aligning with the story they're telling me. Mm. I have to go deeper into the psyche rather than the body. Yeah. Look, you know, the mind and the body are, are sort of two opposite poles um, and and they expressing each other constantly. And so I, I would say. 
you know, anyone, they say anyone can make up figures, but I'd say maybe 80% of what I treat in clinic is the cause is non-physical. So whether it's uh, emotional stuff, whether it's, uh, you know, uh, chemical stress, so exposure to toxins in the environment, unhealthy diets, you know, too much uh, electromagnetic radiation, whatever it is, um, it's just kind of manifesting. And sometimes, excuse me, to establish causality is difficult. Mm. Um, but most of the time, let me quickly give you the, if you will indulge me, the, the mechanics of, of what's going on around, uh, you know, you've seen the fascia. So fascia is like the connective tissue, the cobwebs of the body, right? That that allows fluid uh, movement. The the fascia around the brain and spinal cord. You have three layers: the arachnoid, the the pia mater, and the outer one is called the dura mater. It translates as tough mother. Dura, that's where endurance comes from, and mater, mother. The same structure in Chinese medicine is called the governing vessel and their literature says it governs all systems of yin and yang in the body hmm. there's a reason hippocrates said in cases of disease look first to the spine because this piece of connective tissue all the other fascia connects into this uh, yeah. the, the meninges right so hmm. it attaches in particular places so in the lower spine in the sacrum and the coccyx and then higher up in the neck and the sphenoid bone. A lot of people don't know what the sphenoid bone is, so I'll just, it's pretty much the jaw, if you, you know. Um, and so in South Africa, we've got, uh, well, you get centipedes all over the world, but we've got black centipedes that the, the Zulu vernacular for a centipede is shongololo. And so when people come into clinics, I explain it like this. I say, when you touch a shongololo, it will spiral, it curls into a ball. Most vertebrates have this reflex. So dogs curl their tail between their legs, hedgehogs curl into a ball, pangolians will curl into a ball. We have that exact same response, believe it or not. So the dura, to protect the brain and spinal cord, because this is its job, it's highly sensitive, it will tighten down in the sacrum and the coccyx and then up at the top in the neck and the jaw. And what it does in doing so is it actually lengthens itself. It'll stretch itself between five and eight centimeters. And this allows us to put ourselves into a flexion state. So we actually, uh, fetal position would probably mm -hmm. be the best way without me uh, demonstrating it. <laughs> and so the thing is, you know, the, the nervous system putting itself into that state Yes, you know, you can be injured. So you get physical, emotional, and chemical stress. Those are the three stresses. Physical is, you know, I have too many glasses of wine and I, I fall down the stairs and I wake up with a sore back. That's physical, <laughs> external trauma on the body. Um, chemical, we've kind of discussed, you know, it's exposure to toxins or, you know, living living in uh, polluted environments. Uh but a large majority, because we are so stuck in our heads, is is generated. The dura folds itself as a result of uh, emotional or cognitive neural stress. And so, you know, the really fascinating thing is if you if you take a posture that's in a, and this is kind of like polyvagal theory. If you if you take a posture that's in a sympathetic state, so in other words, flexion that the shongololo is curled into a ball, and you change it you loosen the dural attachment sites and you get it into extension 
the nervous system creates a state shift. So you go from fight or flight into rest and relax, sympathetic into parasympathetic, just by creating that posture change. And so, uh, you know, people say to me, oh, you know, do you treat just anxiety and depression? I go, well, indirectly, yes. I would never claim to say, look, I'll, I'll fix your anxiety or whatever. But most of these disease or, you know, sort of lifestyle modern diseases are created because we we just have an overload of stress. We have, you know, a nervous system that's stuck in a sympathetic state. It won't it won't or we don't give it enough time to shift back into a parasympathetic state so again you know we can make up figures but i would say a large majority i'd say about 80% is is cognitive stress that's just kind of showing up in the body as back pain or uh, insomnia or hormonal issues or knee pain you know it, it's symptoms are symptoms it's, there's a reason they called symptoms You've got to figure out what's root cause or at least, you know, have a crack at figuring out what's really going on in the body. Yeah, I, <clears throat> I appreciate what you're saying there. And what's interesting is, um, so I, I've communicated with this woman, Frankie Burgett. She's down in, I think it's Dallas, Texas. She worked with the myofascial system, but she noticed that <clears throat> people's gait cycle, when they're not functional, uh, she was noticing that she was dealing with a lot of TMJ. Yeah. Um, and then she also mentioned the sphenoid bone and her and this other researcher, Colin um, Smith, was talked about the, the occult anatomy of the sphenoid bone, which is really interesting. If you pull up, um, uh, Gordon, the sphenoid mm -hmm. bone <clears throat> and, you know, take a look at one of the images of it, uh, SPH. Gotcha. Um, yeah, right there. And you take a look at this thing. It's interesting because it kind of looks like either an owl coming at you or a moth or something like this. And this is the most complex bone in the human body. Yeah, I think sphenoid. I'm I'm not sure. I think sphenoid translates as winged uh, winged bat in Greek. Yeah, and if you look at it, it, it looks it like does that. look like that too. And it flexes. The its sphenoid wings virus. As well, you yeah. <laughs> you might you might be able to find. So, so right there, the, the audience can see where the sphenoid bone sits. And just imagine with, um, with proper gait cycle, that thing should flex and move. And at, right. at, this is at least what Frankie Burgett was saying, that that movement allowed – because what sits on top of that in this groove called the celica tersica is yeah. the pituitary and um, pineal complex – and That's so right. what she's saying is there's this kind of almost palpating or milking action that goes on that your walking and your gait cycle um, actually help downstream through the rest of the endocrine system because that's the, uh, the master endocrine gland. And what she noticed is that with improper gait cycle that the sphenoid bone kind of seizes. It stops to flex in yeah. a way and it stops creating that um, – that motion to the pituitary so there's actually hormonal and uh, endocrine issues that um she has noticed that it, it, the last place you would think is a bone in the body and then and then thinking that that bone is affected by the way that you walk the the, the placement of the feet um all these kinds of things so when you're mentioning posture i've mm. noticed this as well you know amy cuddy said two minutes of arms above head lowers or lowers cortisol, the stress Our hormone, bones. and raises testosterone. How is it that posture for two minutes can radically shift the ratios of 
neurochemicals in your body and then think of the fact that what's throwing a lot of our posture uh, out of balance, I, I'm making one big solid guess here. Um, one big part of it is we are a sitting culture, more so yeah. than ever before in history, we're a sitting culture. So we have this, um, you know, uh, over exaggeration of the hyperkyphosis that, that that's been setting into the body, which is the rounded back and everything like that. With that being said, like, where do you start? I, I want to know a little mm. bit more about the Bowen therapy. So somebody comes so, in and you can tell that they have the hyperkyphosis in their posture. And regardless of what they say, it, like, where do you start based on your intuition? Well, I, I do a couple of tests, very brief, simple tests. And I just have a look at, so if, if you think about it, there's a contraction at the bottom. And, you know, I, I can even explain the gait cycle, how, uh, you, you know, like, like your coccyx, believe it or not, is paired with the sphenoid bone. So if I take your coccyx wow. and I shift it or I create tension in it, it's mirrored up at the top. The sphenoid bone mirrors that. And so that's why when I'm working with women, I think we chatted off air. I don't think this was on. But, you know, if, we, if we're trying to get a woman to give birth naturally, drug-free, whatever, the, the jaw, making sure the sphenoid bone is loose, is more important than making sure the pelvis is loose because it's not more important. It's just there's more dural attachment in the upper yeah. uh, upper attachments. And so generally, dysfunction is descending. So issues in the knees. And I mean, there's, you know, if you go into pubmed.com now, there's there's medical, published medical papers saying medial knee pain is often uh, TMJ dysfunction. Wow. So, I, I, you know, I just do a couple of, of tests to see who's winning the tug of war battle. You know, is it the lower durals? the upper durals and and most of the time it's the upper durals uh because our, you know our brain sits there um uh, it's you know we we have uh as i said so, so many uh dural attachments in that area our hormones are affected by it our lymphatic system or the, the lymphatic system of the brain is called the glymph glymphatics yeah that that needs to drain and so generally, uh, you know, I, I kind of look at what's going on up there and then clear that. And then we have a look at, okay, what, what's the rest of the body doing now? Cause you know, I don't want to, I don't want to, again, anyone can make up figures, but when, when people come into the clinic, there are very few people that don't get some sort of neck and sphenoid work. Uh, even if the testing shows me that it's clear, I do it anyway, because it's kind of like, I think the testing might be a little bit, you know, giving me a false positive. Yeah. So, um, yeah, uh, you know, you, you, you get that right. Um, that's phenoid bone. Uh, and you, you change a lot of things. The brain actually uses it. It's, it's a bit like a, a gyroscope. So the brain uses it to navigate you through a gravitational field. So the hmm. first place that things go wrong is uh, neck and jaw. And then you get the symptoms around that generally, not always, you know, there are exceptions to the rule. Um, so, you know, you can, we've all done it. You, you misstep, you know, you, you try to sit in a chair and then you fall down onto your coccyx and you get that like really bad ringing pain in the, I always say it feels like toothache in your coccyx. Mm. And, you know, three days later you start to develop headaches because what's happened is shifting the coccyx has created a, a, a shift in the sphenoid bone higher up, just like the sacrum is paired with the occipital bone. If I shift the sacrum, I shift the occipital bone, right, which is um, sort of the base plate of the skull. 
And you mentioned that we are sitting society. The coccyx doesn't like direct pressure. So if you sit for long periods, the, the sacrum and the pelvis will adjust itself to take pressure off of the attachments down there via what's called the phylum terminale. And so you change the bottom, you change what's going on up at the top. And, um, you know, it's one of the things when I've treated people, I say, you know, movement is your friend. In Chinese medicine, there's a saying, when there is mm. movement, there is no pain. When there is no movement, there is pain. Mm. And so, you know, we, as a species, we've evolved to move, you know. Yeah. Yeah. You've, you froze a second. Um, let's see if we get him back. While he's frozen, I I just want to mention that isn't it cool that the body mirrors itself in such a way that the the, the sphenoid bone is mirrored in the coccyx. I, I think I mentioned it on the last podcast. It might have even been that above your um, diaphragm in your chest is like air, like the wind and the sun, your heart. And then below that is where all the water and the earth goes. Like they mirror each other at that diaphragm. And that's right where the vagus nerve becomes unmyelinated. There's a lot happening right there. Um, Sean, are you still there? As above, so below. Ah, exactly. Kind of a reflection. Um, having a little bit of technical difficulties. Bear with us, everyone. <laughs> South South Africa difficulties. I think he may, he's rejoining. He just left. He might be rejoining. There you us. go. Well, <clears throat> while he's rejoining, yeah, I, I just want to make that one last point that um, we we are creatures meant to move. We're meant to move the body, and just think of the fact that we run waters through our body through the fascia. Your fascia is twenty percent of your body weight. It's the one organ because now it's being looked at as an organ that actually connects every other system of the body. It's made of collagen, ground substance, elastin, and water. It moves a lot of that water, which holds memory through the body, and it connects uh, around the entire spinal column from the cranial to the sacral pump, which is what Sean was just talking about there. And Yap Vanderval, who is a um, embryologist from um, the Netherlands, he he tracks the entire evolution of embryology, like the, your fascia, the way it starts and how it evolves all the way to the moment that you uh, leave this place is an evolution of movement in the fascia. So there's something super fascinating about that. Do we do we have Sean back? Did he come back? Not yet. Not yet. I should just keep rambling. Well, why don't you go, <laughs> why don't you pull up the... Uh, the imagery of... Yeah, I can pull um, up his site. Yeah, well, I would say pull up the imagery of the spinal column, um, like the, the, the full spinal column all the way up to the brain stem. Doing a live Because <clears throat> just for, for ladies and you know gentlemen, just for your um, yeah. kind of historic or mythological understanding of this instrument, the spinal column, I think Sean's rejoining. Yeah, right sorry, there. Ben, I, I'm not sure what happened there. It's all good. You know, sure. just the fact that we have technology, you're in South Africa, I'm in Nashville, Gordon over here is in Virginia, and you only took, what, a minute to get back on? I think uh, I'm still applauding our advances. So um, all I was telling the uh, the audience was just mm. how beautiful that the, the body mirrors itself in such a way. 
I don't know if you've thought of this, but like the diaphragm above are the lungs and the heart, almost like the air and the sun and below is where all the water and the solids uh, go to in the, in the digestive tract where the soil and obviously the, the microbiota exist. There's kind of a mirroring there of our outside world as much as there is a mirroring of our inside world. You said the, the coccyx and the sphenoid bone are mirrors of one another. I've seen that along the spinal column for quite some time, like as above, so below. So below. The, yeah. the, the hips, the, the cranium. And I was yeah. even just talking about how fascia, it's 20% of our body weight, and it's the one system that connects all other systems, and it primarily wraps itself around the, uh, the spinal column. So in Bowen therapy, everything seems to kind of come back to like, well, first address what would be keeping the body from just naturally healing itself mm. as well, which wouldn't be the blunt trauma, I would imagine. It would be the, the reason why you go up here is not because they told you there was some kind of neck or head or jaw injury. It's probably because the chronic just day-to-day seems to affect this more than any other um, spot in the body. So if you address that, even if that's not where the, the pain seems to be coming from, it's going to be a net positive anyway. 100%. And so it's kind of like if you take, you know, I, I always explain it like this to people. If, if I take a, a motor car and I take a wheel off, you could, you could probably drive that car. It's not going to drive, you know, at 120 Ks an hour. But if I put the wheel back on, then it will drive at 120 Ks an hour. It doesn't help. I'm trying to make the car go faster, but I haven't put the wheel back on. I'm, I'm not going to get anywhere, you know. And so generally it's, it, it's most issues, uh, unless there's, uh, you know, blunt force trauma. If you've fallen down the stairs and you've torn knee ligaments, it's a very different uh, injury to something that's accumulated this this tension through the fascial network and then you know you serve a tennis ball and your shoulder doesn't quite feel right after that um, you know you, you've got to look for root cause dysfunction what's really going on in the body as opposed to like well what's the body presenting to me you know right. so great the body's engine light comes on you know in just like it does in a car but I've I've got to I've got to do something to make the engine light go off, not just take the bulb of the red light out, right. you know? So uh, people often come in and I explain, look, my work and, and, and this is, you know, we spoke about uh, reductionism earlier and, and modern medicine is very reductionistic by nature, which is great because it allows us to study parts of the body and diseases and viruses down to the last like minute detail. But in its attempt to be reductionistic and to be science-driven, it's lost its concept of how the body functions holistically, of how intertwined my emotions are, how, um, you know, how I'm affected by my environment, how I'm affected by my conditioning. And, you know, people come in and I'll say to them, you know, you've got knee pain. I can tell you now I'm going to spend a lot of time on your jaw just so that they, they don't think, what the hell is this guy? You know, <laughs> this is who I'm – and I've had it. You know, guys come in and uh, they'll say, oh, my hip, and I'll have a look, and it's got nothing to do with the hips. Let's just say it's, you know, like stuck upper gerals. 
and I'll release. And then I'll say, okay, well, come back next week. Let's see how you go. And I go, no, back my hip. And I go, I oh, know. Just <laughs> trust me. Come back. Can you know where my hip is? And then they'll come back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, they'll come back and they'll go, yeah, it's, it's you know, it's 95% better. And so, oh. uh, you know, if we, I, I always use this example. If, if you have a garden and the flowers are dying, you know, you can keep replanting flowers, but really, if you need to just add the bees back in, then that's what you must do, you know? So, um, yes, yeah, understanding I, I, holistically. That's it. It's that's understanding it, you know? so, that, that everything is a system connected in with a larger system. That's the one thing about the reductionism that I think goes too far. It's like, oh, let's keep getting smaller. Let's keep dissecting more and more. And it's like, that in and of itself is not the problem. The problem is, is it's it's not this thing that grows in all directions, like across the spectrum. It's like this thing that grows out in a line, like let's keep getting smaller, let's keep reducing more and more and more. And I would imagine, you know, in rugby, there's there's probably a, a lot of that, like, you know, oh, you, the, the tire's off, I can't go any faster, we'll muscle through it. I remember back in football, there was a lot of this muscle through it. And it's just like, I, it's funny that more people didn't acknowledge it back then, but there were a lot of kids that I remember that their injuries got worse because we were just told like, well, you just need to muscle up, you know, stop crying so much about it. So I think the very last football game I ever played, I was playing running back and um, I was playing Ironman because I was also on defense. And while I was on defense, I tackled somebody, brought him down on my ankle and mm. injured my ankle. But I was so in it that I just kind of sat on the the bench and I was waiting for my turn to get up again. And my dad was, um, you know, one of the coaches. And I just told him, like, Dad, I'm ready to go back in. And I step and my ankle just rolls to the side. Mm. And that's when he's like, all right, I'm taking you to the hospital. <laughs> but that's that was the mentality. Yeah. I was just like, well, I'm just going to wait until I don't feel the pain as bad because I want to get back out there on the field and so I can muscle through it. And you you literally came from that that pro rugby style mm. of probably thinking of things. And that's this is where I kind of want to dive deeper into Bowen therapy because you're talking about it's soft touch. That kind of most people think, no, I'm I'm a, I'm a hard man. I got I got a lot of muscles. It needs to be hard. I need to feel pain in order for something good to be happening. And also I, I want to understand if if Bowen therapy is similar to or if it employs any um myofascial release kinds of techniques mm. look with with bone therapy it's it's predominantly sort of neurolymphatic so it it looks at the nerves it works with the fascia uh, it works with the muscles and tendons and ligaments and also sort of fluid dynamics in the body you know what what is the lymphatic system doing um so in terms of I wouldn't say it's myofascial release. There, there is there is elements of that, but it's more about re-establishing. You know, your fascial network is a communication network, um, so it's more about re-establishing. It's kind of like showing the brain. You know, this is what my posture should be, and so it uses very like sort of lightish. It, it depends uh, how you you know. The technique's very forgiving. And so perhaps if I'm working with the baby, I use incredibly light touch. Um, you know, if I'm working with a more muscular athlete, it's not uh, overly aggressive, but I might use a slightly deeper touch 
to to kind of you know get the desired effect. So I wouldn't say it's it's. I suppose it's lumped together with myofascial release because people understand what that is. So it's easy just to explain it in that sense. Um, you know, there, there's kind of new theory saying that you can't actually release fascia. And so the release that you get is actually just a readjustment of the whole fascial network. Because the really interesting thing about fascia, it's, um, it's kind of like liquid crystal in nature. So it's like your flat screen TV screen. Yeah. Um, it, it, you know, if I took a pin and I put a, a tiny hole in the top, I'm just looking at my TV across from me. Yeah. If I put a, a, a hole in the, the screen, the whole screen won't work. It's not like there's just a small bit that doesn't work. And so fascia is like that. It kind of responds as a whole or it doesn't respond at all, which is really incredible. Yeah. Um, it's a fractal communication network. I've even heard that fascia doesn't stretch. Um, yeah. it, there is elastin in it, but it actually reconfigures itself. It slides across itself and reconfigures in order to give the impression that it's stretching when really what it's doing is, uh, if you could see the cobwebs in there for the audience, mm. imagine all those connector points can slide across one another and reconfigure itself in a fractal sense. But um, but yeah, that, I feel like that's that's kind of what you're mentioning as well yeah. like the, the the idea of release maybe seems to be it's a um it's a communication that allows for the the nervous system to go back into parasympathetic from sympathetic yeah Is that correct 100 percent. the the uh, it's hard it's hard for me to put it into words but to me the fascial network of the body almost if you look at how a octopus moves in the water, like, you know, with all those tentacles going, it's almost like it's got its own consciousness, for lack of a better term. I, I like to think that consciousness is sort of infused through the fascial network. Um, a lot of people think your bones are what's holding you upright. So that's not true. Your, yeah. your fascial network is holding you upright. The bones are actually floating in the fascia. If your bones were holding you uh, up, if you blacked out, you would remain upright because the bones would then be taking the tension. But because you black out, you know, that, that neural tension, that consciousness isn't pushed through the fascial network. And so it's like dropping the current in an electrical uh, circuit. You know, you just collapse. And so it's really, it's really, it's a fascinating, fascinating structure. Uh, in terms of what it does, how it allows for fluid movements. I always, I try to explain to people in clinic that your, the, the way dancers move so gracefully or your ability to run or throw a ball in a, in a very um, sort of fluid-like way is facilitated by the fascia. Mm. If, if that wasn't the case, if it was your muscles, you'd be very clunky. You know, you'd kind of move like, I'm sure you've seen a cat with uh, tape under its paws, you know, <laughs> that like, that's, that's how I think you would move without fascia. So it's really an interesting structure. And, you know, when they started, um, uh, I'm not quite sure when, maybe the Renaissance era, or when they started really cutting open cadavers, they weren't really interested in the fascia because they were interested in, you know, the muscle and the organs and the bones, stuff they could really see that they kind of just discarded it as this stuff. That's right. They did the same thing with the glia inside the brain. Neurons took all the, I did a whole paper on this where it was two brothers. They were studying yeah. the brain and 
one of them had this idea that neurons were the most important and that glia and all the rest is just packing material. And his brother wanted to, I think it was Ramos something, I'm, I'm sorry I'm forgetting the name, but he wanted to get his name on the paper, so he rushed out there with that, published it, while his brother was rethinking, no, there's got to be a deeper purpose to this, which is the same thing, it's this packing material. So with cadavers, we're just like, what is this stretchy stuff? we got to get rid of it to get the good stuff, like the organs That's and right. the muscles. Yeah, and, and you know, now I suppose there's more research coming out, but if your fascial system, you know, uh, you know, I'm sure you know what osteopathy is. Yeah. But, uh, you know, Andrew Taylor still, he said fascia bites, I'm paraphrasing, yeah, but fascia bites functioning we live and bites dysfunction we die, you know. Yeah. And so a healthy fascial network is, is uh, you know, and, and you also said, you just mentioned nature a little bit earlier. He said osteopathy is nature. Hmm. And so, you know, he took a very – um, sort of natural approach to healthcare, and um, you know, new research coming out saying if your fascial network is healthy, you will be healthy. You know, and uh, if it's not, well, you're going to have some problems. Yeah, <clears throat> I want to mention one more thing on this uh, on the fascia thing. Um, mm -hmm. You mentioned that it, it almost seems to have its own consciousness, or consciousness runs itself through it. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm sure you've heard the conundrum of when something grazes across your foot and you can react to it faster than your nervous mm. system would send the signal to the brain and back down for you to move it, which is nervous system 250 miles an hour, like let's say a fast Ferrari. But it almost seems, and I'm sure you've probably seen Ronell Wood's book, maybe uh, it's called um, Freeing Your Fiber Optic Fascia. That when you look no, at but that seems like one I must get. <laughs> so so check that out. I mean, she, yeah. she she she. It's not like she makes it into like a scientific paper proving the, its fiber optic quality. But you go to the the first doctor to put a probe underneath the skin, uh, Jean Claude Gimberto, and strolling yes. under the skin. Yes, and you can see that as as you're looking at living fascia, not in a cadaver, but living tissue. It looks like fiber optic tissue. It looks like it's 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 actually like sending biophotons and light, or at least capable of transmitting light, or somehow communicating fractally across its network quicker than the nervous system can. So I've I've heard this about the consciousness of it that somehow it can get you to move your leg before your brain has even responded to something. Yeah. So perhaps Again brain is only one element of what we consider to be intelligence. It, it swims in a much larger field of intelligence or, you know, consciousness, yeah. whatever, whatever the proper word might be. Well, I, I like to look at it as, you know, consciousness isn't just in the brain. You are consciousness, like, like everything. And mm -hmm. um, I, I don't know, you know, the, the polyvagal theory c kind of states Stephen that. Borges. That's right, yeah. You know, I can, if I create um, state shift in the body, I create state shift mentally. And, you know, this, this is kind of this like seesaw between uh, mental and physical. And so I, I, I try to explain to people, like, you, you want to be healthy, just move. Just move. And you, you don't have to, uh, you know, you, you spoke earlier uh, about the gait cycle. Mm -hmm. Walking is just... Ideal, you know, you don't yeah. have to go to the gym. You don't have to. You just want to move because the more you walk, the more your posture resets itself. And if I change posture, 
I change I change mental state, you know. Um, there, I've heard this there about was walking. Uh, I don't I don't want to interrupt your your flow, no, but have no. you have you heard of the Human Garage out of L.A.? I have actually. Uh, Check them out. There's this really good podcast they did. I'll try and you know think of the name of who interviewed them. Uh, but it was three of them. It was one guy who had just gotten a treatment from them interviewing the 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 three. So it's it's that yeah. man you see in that picture, his wife, and they have somebody studying under him. It was such a good podcast. But one thing that I specifically remember them talking about was that walking. So like just natural. As, as we move throughout our day, it's uh, common that your body torques itself. So the fascia starts to torque itself, as they said. There's probably yeah. more words we could place to that. Sure. But he said the number one exercise to untorque the body is walking. And he said, like, you know, now if you were to walk six to eight miles a day, you wouldn't have any torque in your fascia at all. But that's beyond what most people um can can find the time to do. So he said there are other manipulations and things you can do that are quicker, more to the point than walking six to eight. Or it might have been six to eight miles a day. I'm sorry, not six to eight hours. Um, that's a lot more doable. Six to eight miles a day. But still, there, there's something about that, that that natural bilateral movement is it, it really if you think of what walking is, it's around the center line, the spine of the sure. body. It's just these lateral movements, your transverse abdominis, which a lot of people have gotten very, you know, atrophied with. Mm -hmm. um, the, there's something that's not supporting their spine as well. And it seems like walking, you're getting a full range of motion around a neutral spine, or at mm -hmm. least you're working in that direction. So I like what you said about the walking. I think that's a really good take home tip. Yeah, I mean, you know, I spoke earlier about the, the dura, the dura mater, right? The outer mm -hmm. protective covering of, so this attaches in sacrum and coccyx and then neck and jaw. What you don't realize, every time you breathe, the diaphragm acts as a pump. And so your sacral bone and uh, your ilium, they work antagonistically to each other. And then up at the top, the occiput and the sphenoid, they work, uh, sorry, the temporal bones and the sphenoid bone, they work opposite to each other. And what this does is it circulates the cerebrospinal fluid and the lymphatic system. So if, if you have, uh, you know, we all carry a lot of tension in our diaphragm. We don't breathe like we should. So if, if my diaphragm is tight, I limit that moving of those bones, right? If, if you know, as an example, I suffer a concussion, uh, my, these, these bones jam up at the top, the dural attachment sites contract, it affects my breathing, right? And that in turn affects this, this rocking motion of the bones. So I would say walking is an excellent way to, to loosen those. So it makes, to me, it makes complete sense, you know? Yeah. So let me just mind this a little bit more. I love that you mentioned mm -hmm. the breathing and, and, and maybe later um, if it comes back up in the flow, I'd love to know if you recommend breathing exercises for people. But the, the one thing about... Um, <clears throat> the one question I have with walking is I'm, I'm sure any way that you get in some walking would be great, but what are your thoughts on between wearing shoes and on mm. flat surfaces or barefoot out in the grass where there's all these little contours and what, what are your thoughts on those mm. minute variables that might actually help kind of loosen up what has become torqued? 
Look, I'm sure there are other experts that could give you a, a better answer, but obviously barefoot would be ideal, right? We've got so many proprioceptors in our palms and underneath our um, uh, the bottom of our feet. And so, um, you know, my oldest son, he didn't wear shoes until he was four. Um, my daughter, not so much because uh, she likes to dress up and she's much younger. But, um, you know, I understood the importance of this. And I think a lot of older people would not suffer, you know, like hip breaks and falls and a loss of balance if if they maintained that proprioception. So, you know, I, I, you know, I live in a city you know, being barefoot all the time is not ideal. But when I get a chance to get out, I just, I love being barefoot. You know, to me, it's, it's, um, you know, and uh, you can look at you know, that concept of earthing, you know, yeah. that exchange of um, free electrons, you know, decreasing inflammation and changing the charge in the body. Um, so, I, I mean, ideally, you know, we've evolved as a running species that would run barefoot. So, yeah, you know, I run ultra marathons now. Do I run barefoot? No, because I wouldn't last, uh, you know, five Ks in the areas that we run. Uh, unfortunately, my feet have become modernized, but I do, I do understand the importance of being barefoot. So at home, the first thing I do is kick off my shoes. I hate, you know, I'll be barefoot as much as I can. And I think it's a more natural way to be, you know, allowing the toes to splay, Allowing the the bones because I think twenty five percent of all the bones in your body are actually in your feet. So it's a you know we complex structure that we now squeeze and mold into you know high heels and designer sneakers and that sort of stuff that um, don't work with the natural mechanics of the body. Yeah, it's it's interesting you say that. There's this guy Stephen Jepson from NeverLeaveThePlayground.com. He does a lot of um, he does a lot of juggling, hacky sack, and things like that that are like eye hand or eye foot coordination. But he also does a lot of barefoot um, on top of you know balancing things. And he said one thing that he noticed was it seems to send a lot more information through the talus around the ankle. Yeah, yeah. And that actually leads to, in his opinion higher levels of neuroplasticity and uh, neurogenesis in the brain specifically that he was working with, which wow. are people above the age of 65, because he started training people above the age of 65, um, a, a really simple, uh, interesting technique of picking up marbles with your toes while sitting down, yeah. and then standing up and picking up marbles from a bucket so you're you're only on one foot at that point, and then mm -hmm. putting the bucket on top of the chair you were just on. By the time it gets that easy, and he was noticing that people above the age of sixty-five were regaining their balance mm -hmm. incredibly fast. But what he didn't expect was a lot of them with early onset, or maybe not even early onset, but dementia, Parkinson's, Alzheimer's. They started, and their wives started noticing a a halting and sometimes even a reversal. Mm -hmm. In at least the symptomology, it may not have appeared on a brain scan, but they're remembering things that they were, you know, just lost before. Yeah. That. So the, it, there's just this interesting thing going back to the intelligence in the body that it seems like 
if you move in diverse ways and if you unstick some of the things that are stuck in the body, you can move in more diversity. And for some reason, that seems to translate into neuroplasticity and neurogenesis. And there's something that he said, as you see, he's walking on these rocks and stuff like that, you know, mainly barefoot. Uh, here yeah. he's not. But the subtle ways that your foot has to con contour around a rock and kind of fit the form to the the shape of it it's almost like working on the feet so i would love to know like you like do you do you work on the feet a lot do you like get in there you know the the, the pads of the feet and like work on that at all and do you notice like a maybe a universal kind of correction that you can establish just from there the feet I do, you know, my work, I can work pretty much viscerally, so into the organs of the body. Um, and I do do foot and ankle work um, if it's needed. Mm. Uh, a lot of the time, if you, you know, if you sort out the sort of the column of the body, right, which is spine and, and, um, and, and uh, dural attachment sites, then other things come right. Um, mm. I, as I said, I do do footwork, but it's more, it's more symptomatic. So it's, it's kind of like, uh, I call it fluffing. So it's for the clients, it's for the client's benefit, right? It's just go. so that they think I'm actually <laughs> working on something, you know, like if they've come in with uh, plantar fasciitis or, or whatever it is, uh, I'll work on the feet, you know, so that they think, oh, well, he's at least working in this particular area. Yeah. I, I, you know, it, it makes me wonder because when you're on a table and you have your feet worked on, that's one thing. When all of your weight and your posture is stepping mm. down and finding that through line of gravity where like, where is my support structure? And so the entire foot has to grab around whatever like it's stepping on. That might be different than actually working on a foot on a table. Um, because for me, I have noticed that like if I'm feeling tight up around the neck, if I take a lacrosse ball and I start rolling it on my foot, but like kind yeah. of like for a while, a couple minutes, I can feel some loosening up here. Now that might be a, a longer way to get the same thing uh, if I had somebody working on my back, but when I'm alone, I think I, mm. I mentioned this to you before, I, I'm a nerd on, on the body and I'm a nerd on self-care, but I never go out and have people work on my body, which is something I would like to get deeper into. So mm. I found all these tricks, these self-care tricks, like rolling yeah. a lacrosse ball, doing myofascial release while sitting down, finding a sequence yeah. that's best to do it in if you're going to do a couple spots. Yeah. Um, one thing I would love to know from you, though, is like, do you send anybody home with like self-care tips? And things that people can do kind of on the day-to-day, -day, other than walking. We already touched on that. Mm. But any self-care tips other than walking? Look, I, I don't really work with exercises. You know, the point of my work is to, to get the nervous system or the body back to its, like, original state of health. Baseline. Like blueprints, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, so, uh, one, I do tell people movement is your friend. So don't sit for long periods. If, you know, like most people are stuck behind a laptop or some, you know, device these days. And I tell them, get up, you know, if you can make that call, you know, walking around, do it. You know, don't sit for long periods. Um, you know, something else I say is water, hydration. Fascia needs to be hydrated to do its job. It orients water molecules in a very specific way. Um, hmm. And so... If fascia is dehydrated, it becomes thixotropic. So, you know, if you visualize 
around each little muscle fiber, you have fascia. And so the sliding filament theory of muscle, you know, when a muscle contracts, the, the fibers slide over one another. And when it relaxes, it, it you know, kind of pulls apart. The, the fascia allows that gliding motion. So if you're dehydrated or your fascia is brittle or, you know, and fascia becomes, then it's thixotropic. Um, it can be emotional states that create that. It doesn't have to be, you know, physical dehydration. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I say to people, water, you know, if they don't drink, actually people that don't drink water at all. And that's, to me, that's quite strange, but I guess, you know, there's, there's different people. And, uh, you know, generally, I'll, I'll try to explain to them, if you flare, because sometimes in the body's attempt to reestablish homeostasis, you know, shifting between sympathetic and parasympathetic states, we can feel a bit shitty, you know, yeah. tired, flat, detoxy, um, sometimes, you know, emotional things pop up, people are teary or, um, you know, and I just try to explain, it's, it's just the body letting go, it's just you're processing things. It's like stirring up the mud at the bottom of a clear pond. It's murky for a bit, but it will settle, you know? And uh, generally, you know, people just feel better, but you do get the odd one. But I tell everyone, just be aware. If you do find you're not feeling great, it, it settles, you know? It's not a, I haven't made you worse, all my words that I use. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've noticed that a lot, especially even in detoxing. Um... You know, uh, th this started way back before I even started getting nerdy about these things. But this, you know, the hair of the dog, drink a beer mm. when you have a hangover, it helps, right? Well, what does it do? It stops the detox process. So the detox process feels shitty because you drank too much, right? Yeah. You know, and so that's almost like a necessary pain you need to go through. And drinking the beer just stops the process of detoxing. That's That's a really simplified way of looking at it. But sometimes... I feel, and, and this is, I wouldn't even say it's a theory of mine, it's a working hypothesis maybe of, um, so you know when Wim Hof's work, his breath technique, yeah. uh, it, it decouples the pain protein. So you can get in an ice bath and it'll still feel cold, but the pain won't be as heavy because the breathing technique decouples the pain proteins. I yeah. feel like those pain proteins can get somewhat stuck maybe in the waters. I don't know if it's in the fascia. But when I hear of myofascial release or even just extreme relaxation all of a sudden and somebody can get emotional, I feel a couple things are likely going on. One is that they haven't felt a, a relief from a certain degree of tension for a while. And just yeah. feeling that relaxation takes you from this space where your, your inner knowing is, I don't have the bandwidth or the energy to deal with this emotional component. And then when you relax and your bandwidth opens up, it's like, well, now would be the time to cry, right? Mm. You know, now would be the mm. time for this to, to come out. And sometimes we can associate it with a specific moment in our life. I don't even know if that needs to, to really be there. I think sometimes just the crying or just the, that, mm. because if you think of crying and laughing, it's it's this breathing interrupt as well. It's this thing that like it's causing you to kind of like go through these rapid fluctuations around the diaphragm and breathing, you know, exercises are known to relax the fascia. Definitely. I find that super yeah. And the and the one thing about hydration, have you heard of Eldoa? No. 
you should check out Eldoa because basically it's just I think there's seven seven movements um and there there're specific not even movements they're poses so it's yeah. uh, E L D O A Eldoa yeah. the guy um I think I might even interview him uh next month but these are um basically working with the myofascial system specifically to move water through them. So like the 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 point of it is to kind of imagine you're wringing out your fascia like a towel to yeah. move water because then once it relaxes again, it drinks, it's like thirsty, it drinks in new water. So they're really big sticklers on hydration because they notice that your body will not, if, if you're not properly hydrated and being properly hydrated doesn't mean like once a day drink half a gallon of water, it means drinking it at the right times and also structured water. I don't know if you've gotten into unstructured water can't even enter the cells very easily and structured water, like distilled water has a hard time actually entering the cells because yeah. there's no structure to it. And structure almost seems like memory in a sense. So there, there's something about Eldoa that I think is is really interesting. I'd love for you to like look into that. Maybe we could talk down the line. Yeah, um, definitely. But, I'll love stuff like that. But, uh, you know, hydration is super, super important. Um, is there is there anything else that you find are like common offenders? You've worked on people for 17 years now, 16 years, 10 years professionally. Mm. You were doing it part time yeah. for a while. So that's a lot of hands on training. Like what are some other through lines um, if, if there's anything else? I know that you you've worked on people from what was it? 36 hours old mm. like right out the womb. Yeah, my oldest has been 94 Hold it. Wow. 36 hours mm -hmm. to 94 years. I would yeah. love to know. And I don't know if there's, I mean, if you want to steer that in a specific direction, but like you've worked on bodies for 17 years, ranging from 36 hours to 94 years old are like, for one, like what, what was it about the 36 hour old child that maybe needed some work or maybe that maybe the mom just wanted mm. some work. Explain a little bit of that to me. Sure. So uh, this little guy, he he was the fourth out of uh, in the family, and I treated the mom and dad, the extended family, and all of the kids. So there wasn't anything too badly wrong with him. They just brought him to me to make sure you know he, things were moving like they should, for lack of a better term. But when I treat little guys like that, it's it's generally there's some sort of birth trauma, uh, either they mm. prem. Uh, you know, it, it's just their nervous system is stuck in a sympathetic state. And so they won't sleep. They cry all the time. They got really bad colic. You know, I'd say colic is predominantly what I treat in, in like babies that young. Or even um, if they won't latch, you know, the, 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 the suckling reflex, I think, develops in the eighth month, uh, eight and a half months. And so if you bring a baby out before, then sometimes they battle. That reflex isn't fully developed. Oh, so, okay. you know, it's just about stimulating you know, a lot of jaw work, uh, the nerves, the TM, uh, trigeminal nerve, you know, a couple of those. Um, so, again, a large majority of the little ones I treat are, are for colic or babies that won't settle, you know. And it's just a nervous system that their first experience of life has been one of shock or trauma they've you know they've come yeah. into the world not calm and like oh god this is amazing this is my you know here i am it's a case of well here i am i'm fighting for my life in whatever context that is you know yeah so uh it's just about 
tipping the nervous system back into a parasympathetic state because 80% of your functioning is autonomic. You don't think about it, right? Your digestion, heart rate, blood pressure, hormones, uh, neurochemistry, all of this stuff happens without you consciously thinking about it. The problem is that that autonomic nervous system is optimized in a parasympathetic state. So when we calm and relaxed, the autonomic nervous system works exactly like it should. When we move into a sympathetic state, so we go into fight or flight, that part of the nervous system kind of down regulates to keep you in this heightened state of fight or flight because it needs to keep you alive. So, you know, it's when I treat things like uh, fertility, if I'm working with a couple who are battling to conceive, I, I try to explain to them, like, you know, you, your body's responding like it doesn't want to hold a child. It's yeah. it's responding like you fighting, you know, there's a lion chasing you, for lack of a better term. So you've got to tip the nervous system back into a parasympathetic state. The hormones then start to work, you know, autonomic nervous system becomes optimized and you return back to your original blueprint of health where everything works like it should. That's so fascinating. You know, there's, there's a couple things that um, come up for me there. Um, and that's like mentioning that even at 36 hours old, there is a, um, especially, you know, and I can't pretend that I've been around for, for tons of generations and know, I, I know how like pregnancy and birth has always been done. But, you know, I've heard stories of women in Africa walking miles to a clinic, have their baby and then walk home from the walk clinic. Home. In the Western world, that's like, no, you need to stay in the hospital for 36 hours. You need to be laying down, resting. And I'm not saying that there's there's nothing to that. But the interesting thing is, is that something has happened to giving birth. In... Well, someone needs to make money, right? So you've right. got to be in hospital for three days. <laughs> and, and, you know, the idea of laying on your back and mm. your feet up in stirrups is, is, is that natural to the, to the mom about to give birth? Or no. is that the easiest way for the, 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 doctor, the doctor to have yeah, a baby sure. delivered straight into the doctor's hands? So it's beneficial for the doctor, it seems. And sure, that could it, possibly cause for a lot of even what my wife has helped some people get over their anxiety of having birth and just teaching them, like, your body was made for this. Don't let stories that you've heard yeah. about horror stories and anxiety and movies where they're screaming and sweat and then the mom almost dies afterwards – like th that sensationalism, your body knows how to do this, which, you know, is almost treading on like your body has ancient wisdom. We should listen yeah. to it. We should we should con consult with the body more than allow for our intellects to run what we think is normal in the body and to just land on the point that children at age 36 hours or, or not even um, Stan Groff called it the perinatal matrices where he was dealing with people. Um, doing breath work and holotropic breath work, and they were having these experiences that he says, th this seems like you're going through the birth canal. And it almost yeah. seems like something about their nervous system, they didn't have a Sean Johnson working on them at age 36 hours, so something stuck around, it almost seems, in it, their it, nervous system. 100%. The body heals, the nervous system doesn't forget. That's, that's you know, body I use score. that line often uh, in, 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 in clinics. So, Yes, uh, you know, you can have a car accident um, and, you know, break a couple of bones, they heal. You kind of got on, you kind of get over it. But 
the nervous system doesn't forget that trauma unless you do something to to release it right to yeah. to work out of it i um I've, I've been helping a lady with a knee she had knee surgery and um it didn't quite go according to plan but before she came to see me she went back and it wouldn't uh, it wouldn't flex right so they, they just couldn't get the knee to bend and they put her out and they forced the knee to bend and she was saying even though she was out her whole body her hands were actually clenching uh oh. from them forcing the knee so consciously she's not there but you know there's an intelligence that's seeing everything all the time in that body that doesn't sleep or doesn't black out so yeah. perhaps your ego blacks out but you know there's an intelligence there that remembers these things and um you know i haven't it's hopefully in a book i'll write one day but I in February I did a, a ultra marathon across uh, the Tanqua Desert here in South Africa, and at about 84 kilometers, uh, I was running. It's like 47 degrees Celsius. I don't know what that is in Fahrenheit, but it's a lot. Um, and I my whole left side of my body kind of started to distort. It was doing its own thing. And it, it was literally, uh, I knew, and, it, you know, I spoke to a friend about it afterwards, who's also a runner, and he said, well, how did you know it was your birth process? And I said, I can't explain it, but I just know it was my birth process. My whole left side of my body wow. almost pulled in its own direction. I actually, I stopped, I walked, you know, and I was just like, all I said to myself was, and, you know, so the. This is 84 kilometers. It's very hot. I've been awake for almost 36 hours now. <laughs> you know, my language to myself in my head was slit its throat and let it die here on the road. And, <laughs> you know, this is my very primal, like, oh, hurt. Yeah. This is the what's going on inside mindset. my head. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, uh, you, you know, I, I, I can't explain it, but... That was my experience, and whether it's you know subjective, it probably is. But uh, I've seen enough. Um, I'll give you an example. When I just started work, and I mean, I think this was my first year of like full time clinical work. I had a lady come to me with back pain, and uh, she was a Russian lady, and um, I, I treated her, and she came back the following week, and the results weren't quite what I wanted, but her. Her lower back, her psoas was, I mean, it was literally like a concrete wall. And, um, you know, I said to her, look, in, uh, she could speak English, but it wasn't, uh, you know, fluent. Um, I asked, had she been through any trauma? You know, what, what she said, look, when she was four, her parents divorced, but her uncle stepped into that fatherly role. She, she said she has zero trauma from that event in her life nothing so i was like oh okay you know can't be that then if she's saying that and i said and what was your birth process like and she said oh yeah, i died and they resuscitated me it's okay. <laughs> a big tidbit to leave out <laughs> yeah exactly right? Just uh, bury I the lead. All the time, you know i'll i'll be treating someone and i'll you know they'll tell me oh, this and this and I've, I've got a history and then i'll have a look on their shins and they've got the classic um they've had a heart bypass they've taken the the veins out of their legs and they don't tell me that i just see the scars and then i'll ask and they'll go yeah i've had you know quadruple heart bypass and 
I kind of go, I think that's important to, to wow. tell me and to let me know. But anyway, this lady, um, you know, I said to her, look, you know, your first kind of life experience um, sets the nervous system, the tone of the nervous system pretty much for your life unless you do something to, re to change it. And she said she had always been highly strung, you know, battle with anxiety, a typical type A personality. Um, and, you know, I treated her and she came back for a third session. And I, perhaps it was just creating that, that, that link between what happened and, 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 and she was like a completely different person. She said, I just feel different, everything, you know, and so perhaps she would have got those results without me asking those questions and, and, and kind of, you know, joining the dots together. Um, but I, you know, in my experience, I doubt it. Um, but just shows, you know, we, we, it's so, what's it? Vital, I think, you know, uh, to even, you know, I also take babies to chiropractors. It's it's just to down-regulate that stress response in them because they you know they've come from a place that was pretty much utopia into a world that's now you know separation and it's colder you know you don't have food on tap you know like it, it's different the world is different and um, if you can help that transition I think it it plays and it serves them for the rest of their life you know. Uh, most most little kids that come in to me and they either they've got you know they've got the diagnosis of ADD or they've got concentration problems or they won't sleep. There is some form of birth trauma, abuse, uh, neglect, you know, something like that that has just set their nervous system off in a in a sympathetic state. And the great thing about working with kids is their prefrontal cortex isn't developed. So their egos are not as strong as entrenched, as strongly entrenched as, you know, yours and mine are. And so they just want to express health. You know, their ego isn't attached to their, their blights and their pain and all of that. So working with kids is amazing because it's minimal input for like maximum results. You know, yeah. they come in and they come right like that. It's, it's amazing. Where adults, adults, it's like pushing a boulder up a hill sometimes, you know. You know, like you, you said something that really <clears throat> made me think of the fact that, you know, when you say setting the nervous system on the right tone or the right note, um, getting it going to, to what would be called tuned in, you know, in harmony, it, it just feels like if you come into this world with, a, let's say, a difficult birthing process, and then you never have somebody bringing or or find a way for you to do it yourself to find that baseline. It's it's almost like you never heard the guitar perfectly tuned. You've only heard mm. the guitar out of tune, and you know what it, yeah. you, you you know the reference point. You know what an almost tuned guitar sounds like, but until you get back to baseline, it almost seems like the the longer you go, because the, the children don't have the stories you know, as deeply entrenched, sure. you know, so we have these, these stories and that that's, what's so fascinating to me about the stories that you were saying, you see the, the, um, removed veins, you see the, um, you know, the, the surgery and stuff like that. And it's stuff that they mm. never told you why, because for some reason it, it wasn't a part of the story that they held on to. And sure. so you can have conflicting stories 
you know, like, oh, my, my instrument's perfectly tuned. It's just like, actually, no, you've never heard it perfectly tuned. You didn't, you, you've never heard what it, what it sounds like in perfect bass line. So I love what you're mentioning there because it really does feel like if you can introduce that, um, that neutral, the, you know, what is harmo mm. harmonious, what is balance? Uh, I worked with um, Naudi Aguilar from Functional Patterns, and he was just working with me for an hour on just finding neutral posture. And I, I like to me, I couldn't really tell the difference. He was making these minor adjustments and saying like, now suck in your gut a little bit more, do this, do that. Mm. And then he was just like, you know, like you're just going to sweat a lot for the next couple of minutes. But, you know, like, don't worry, we're making neuromyofascial associations. Like your yeah. body has forgotten where neutrality is. It forgot sure. how to balance itself. So just reminding it by bringing it there and just, okay, stay present. That's it. And I've had to do that when, when I try and meditate, you know, and I, I notice like, oh, I think my, my spine is straight, but I've actually just relaxed down into that hyperkyphosis. I need to remind my body, oh, this is neutral. That's what that feels like. So as you can see on the screen there, that, you know, the, the out of alignment backs, um, Jeez. That's that's a story <laughs> to me. Yeah. That, that is a story right there. See, um, your, your posture, we think of posture as kind of only physically driven, but it's an accumulation of your thought processes, the emotions you feel, your habits, uh, you know, karmic lineage. There's all of these things that, that are built into your posture and it's dynamic. It's never, it's never constant. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, people come into clinic and, you know, I'll test and I say, oh, am I out again? And I go, yes, but I expect you to be out. You're a human being. You know, you are thinking, you are feeling, you are experiencing. All of this stuff changes your posture. Um, and so, you know, it, it's, constant, it's constant work, I would, I would say. Um, and if you... If you can create that postural change, you know, I spoke earlier about the Shungalola from like flexion to extension, you create that state shift in the nervous system. So there are ways to calm yourself down physically, you know, even if you're very mentally anxious. And so it seems like the, the stuff you were showing me there is, you know, a, a really good way to do that. So <clears throat> I got this, this question, you know, you mentioned that you don't send people home with exercises or anything. What do you do mm. for yourself? Uh, you yourself on baseline. I go for treatments. Okay, good. That's, that's good go, to know. So for, and I've only, where are we now? Uh, it's almost, almost December. So towards the end of last year, I made a concerted effort. You know, unfortunately with me, I'm bent over a bed all day. You know, I battle with my neck and my jaw. And it's simply because my posture is one of flexion. I'm, I'm kind of, and it, you know, when you, when you're tuning into a body, it's, you know, you're, I don't like to break that tuning in by thinking, oh, where am I in space now? You know? Yeah. So yeah. I, I'm consistently, I go once a week, roughly once a week. Uh, there are exceptions where I skip, but I go to be worked on or adjusted. Um, and outside of my work, I go to uh, people who do other things because otherwise I'm constantly assessing what's going on yeah, when I'm being worked on. So if I go to someone who does something different to me, I, at least it gives my, my conscious mind a chance to just go, okay, well, lie back, relax, and, and let the process go as opposed to 
you know, trying to think what's Stay going more. on. That's it. Yeah. You know, being consciously, consciously engaged. Because the thing with bone therapy, it's very, we use pauses in the work. So we'll work a bit. It's really light touch. And then you actually, in, in yoga, there's a pose called Shavasana. I think it's corpse pose where you, between postures, you just lie on the ground and you absorb the benefit of the, the, uh, the posture. You know, yeah. that, that ancient wisdom, there's, there's, there's science to it. Um, and so we use a therapeutic pause with bone therapy where if I've adjusted, I can't say adjust, but, you know, if I've addressed something in the body that I think is problematic, I take a pause because it then allows the nervous system. It's a process called interoception yeah. where the nervous system becomes aware of its own internal processes. So it allows the nervous system a chance to respond and I can come back and check. Okay. You know, this is feeling much better. Great. Either, you know, we've got what we need or let's see if there's something else that the body needs. So, um, yeah, it, it just, those pauses allow for that, that sort of postural integration. You know, it's interesting. I was just listening to Alan Watts as he was talking about metaphysics and he was mm. talking about, um, you know, it's like every wave has a peak and a trough. You'll never see a peak devoid of a trough. You know, you'll mm. never see a trough devoid of a peak. And it's this, it comes up above the horizon. Now you see it. Now you don't. Now you see it. Yeah. Now you don't. And what we think of as sound, like if you hear somebody just laying on a synthesizer note, it seems to our conscious mind that it's pure sound but actually it's intervals between sound and silence. And that's, that's what all vibration is. So when you're even mentioning, um, because yoga, it includes more than just Shivasana. Usually Shivasana is at the end, but yes, let's say okay. kund Kundalini yoga, like you're, you're doing this, uh, root rock or, okay. you know, like grinding this, you know, just moving the spine after every exercise, they say now just sit still in meditative pose and just feel what that feels like. Your mm. body just went through a process, now feel what that feels like. It also sounds like the reason why we don't just eat nonstop all day long, but you have a period of eating, and then you have a period of integrating it into your body. And the same thing goes for, I mean, you know, day and night, you know, like you have an active period and then you have a dormant period. So that there's, there's something about, there's some wisdom to that that you were just mentioning that I think is, is really key because even if you're fasting, you're resetting your digestion, you know, like it's, it's kind of a reset, it's a pause. And then what's really important is like coming back onto your diet, like, you know, okay, what are you going to reintroduce the new pattern? You know, so curious, um, as people are getting up off the table with you and they're about to leave, what do you, do you send them home with any, you know, like just here's some tips, here's what you might experience. You've, you've mentioned a couple of it, but as far as like, you know, okay, you want, you're going to want to make sure to hydrate, you know, take it easy, mm. you know, try and sleep as well as you can tonight. Cause yeah. that seems like the resetting period. It is, you know, I, so, you know, if I work with athletes, I'll always just try to say to them, look, if you can not train today, that'll be great because we, Uh -oh. Is always, you know, you, there, there's stimulation and then there's integration and the body needs time. So I, you know, I, I treat people once a week. Uh, other therapists might say, oh, come back in two days, come back in three days, whatever it is. I, I want, 
I want stimulation in treatment and then I want integration for as long as the body needs integration before I try to stimulate that again. The exceptions to the rule. Uh, you know, if I'm treating a pregnant woman, I can treat a pregnant woman hourly, let's say, because as the baby moves, her body will adapt and adjust. Um, but generally, once a week, and it's, it's simply for that, um, that germination, you know, giving the, the time... You know, we've put seeds into the ground, into the body. Now it's time for for the nervous system to respond. Your nervous system is it's evolved through millions of years, right? It knows what to do. I just like to think I help people get out of their own way. I just you know nudge, I facilitate a process. I nudge the body in the right direction, and the nervous system knows what it's doing. It just unravels what it needs to unravel, and it's got to have the time for that. You know, it's just like you've mentioned the cycles. We, we live in a very, uh, you know, the nature of our reality is dualistic. So, you know, black, white, in, out, up, down, and we oscillate between the, these states. And so it's the same, you know, even with training, you know, when I chat to athletes, I always say it's better, it's better to undertrain than overtrain, you know. You can't train 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Like, you can't keep force feeding yourself every minute of the day we need to just like that sound wave we need all aspects of life you know good and bad you know i think this is we're a little bit off topic here but i think this is the problem in society we've been kind of lied to and said oh you must be happy all the time and you you can't be happy all the time it's a lie you know just as your peak happiness, you can, you know, put money on it that round the corner, there's a, a trough that you're going to go into in terms of your mental well-being or mental state. And it's a sort of cycle you have to ride, you know, and I think, uh, yeah, the Buddha said it best, life is suffering and, you know, suffering ends when sort of attachment to um, one side or one, one sort of um, – extreme is let go of you know so yeah, it's 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 wanting the one way without its counterpart right sure. it's, it's like saying i want only daytime you know um and there's definitely a difference between pain and suffering um oh, pain i think pain is really a part of life suffering is when we wallow and can can't let go of like let's say a certain aspect of the significance that we apply to the pain mm. Like this is this is mine. It's part of my story. And suffering ensues when, I believe, when we could give up the pain, when we could move past it, but we're mm. holding on to something. Like there's a part of the lesson we haven't gotten yet, and we still we we think we think that it's afflicting us when really we're holding on to it. I've I've found, and I feel that you know, like I wouldn't say we we got too far off topic because really the the. The main reason why I wanted to chat with you and go into these points of the conversation today is there's this baseline that especially the Western world has of what is health and what is healing. And most people, it might sound like common sense, but they don't know how to put it into practice that like your body heals, your body knows how to heal. So if it's not healing there's some way that you are impeding that progress or something in your environment, which is also you. 
Yeah. Right? You know, like we we are we if you can't live without the environment, you know, then then it's just a fancy way of looking at us thinking that I am this thing and that's that thing, but you can't live without it. It is it is one system, but in this dual world, as you were saying, like this is just how we break things down. We're at a certain level of uh, our evolved consciousness collectively. I feel like what you're offering and working with the body, um, and and th this will kind of be you know um, wrapping it up, so you can you can go as philosophical or whatever yeah. as, as you want with this. But as I think it's this is the future of healing. So I hear a lot of people saying that frequency-based medicine is the future. And yes, that's the techno technologically driven future of medicine, I believe. But I think the the real way back to health is not abandoning the old by rocketing into the into the future, but mm. acknowledging that our body has gone through evolution. Like our mind, it, it resets itself. Every single let's say there is reincarnation. Every single time you enter a new body, you're you're kind of like a reset mind. So you got to learn all over again. But your body comes from generation after generation yeah. after generation. It's dealt with stressors that we couldn't even imagine. Mm. So um, so I guess to to wrap this into a question would be, um, what are your thoughts on how we listen to our own body, like, you know, t touching into the intuition, like acknowledging mm. that there are stories that we tell ourselves, but like being open for communicating with your body. Like, I don't want to go so as, so cheesy as to say, like, you know, to ask, how do we ask our body questions and things like that? But what are your thoughts on finding ways to become more in tune with our body so we know how to step out of uh, mm. the, the way of our own healing? Definitely. I, look, I, I think, to be fair, we've, you, you know, Einstein said there's, uh, you know, space-time is an illusion, albeit a persistent one. Okay, so there's no real separation between anything. Everything just exists in one sort of quantum soup, if you want to say that. So, you know, we, we have this nervous system We've evolved as sort of homo sapiens, as a sort of hunter-gatherer tribe. And when I talk, I always use this really basic analogy. If, if I, uh, you know, and I was a decent IT engineer, and I could put it into its component parts, uh, I could put it back together, and the computer should turn on, right? But what happens if I did that to a human being? If I, you know, separated you, Ben, and I separated your organs and all that, and I, I put you back together if I thought I was a decent surgeon in a more Frankenstein sense, you're not going to turn back on, right? So there, there's this, um, there, there's something very unique about life, you know, and you can, doesn't matter who you are. If, you know, if you're a Christian, you call it a soul. You might call it Brahman if you were Hindu. You know, science would call it energy. You know, if you're a, a Jedi Knight, you'd call it the Force, right? Because there's this, there's an energy within you that that makes you unique, right? And so this energy needs very basic things. So things like movement, uh, exposure to sunlight, uh, organic food, um, close, you know, are we living that way? Are, are we 
are we giving that energy those things? No. What do we do today? You know, don't kiss or hug, don't touch, um, don't, uh, you know, we, we eat food that looks like food but has zero, you know, nourishment for us. Our water that we drink is not water. Uh, we live under uh, fluorescent lights, you know, and then we wonder why we are generating, our nervous system is generating symptoms as a result of, you know, it's like putting diesel in a petrol engine. It's, it's right. just, it's not going to mix, right? And so my, to be honest, I, I, I think our ancestors lived very differently in tribes. I, I think they were, they, they were less and that allowed them to communicate with their environment with, with, you know, and, uh, you know, I think science would look back on, on these ways and go, oh, it's, it's rubbish or, but tribal people live very differently to how we live. And I think they had a better understanding of their bodies because there wasn't so much noise in the world, you know, that they lived these, like they moved around, they, they traveled a lot. They, they weren't stuck, you know, behind a desk. And, and I think if we, one, if we start to apply those things differently, so get out in nature, get your shoes off, right? Get, not get rid of your devices, but limit exposure to, you know, they're like absolute, like, th there's some real rubbish out on the internet, you know, I would say the majority of it's rubbish. Um, but if you limit your exposure to that, you naturally become more aware of your own sort of internal process. If you give your body a chance to talk to you, yeah. um, you know, and also I, I don't mean to be cheesy, but it does. There's this, you know, there's a, there's a feedback, there's a communication. Um, you know, if I'm battling with something, my wife will go, well, what's causing it? And I go, I don't know. She says, but you do this all day, every day in clinic, you helping other people. You need to be, you need to turn that awareness in on yourself and it's it's difficult to do but mm. if you create the environment where you can then then things you know my i'll just my daughter uh she's five she went to the doctor for the first time on monday the homeopathic doctor not the normal doctor but we trust that uh and perhaps i shouldn't because i'm not a doctor you know but i my wife and I, we, we trust our ability to know when a child needs to go and be put on antibiotics. You know, she's never been on antibiotics. Uh, we, we have this, you know, you mentioned earlier, just, you know, the, the, uh, your wife was saying, the, the woman's body knows how to give birth. What we've done is we've, we've transferred our sort of... Um, responsibility to experts you know professionals yeah. and so it's it's simply a decision create the environment and and trust yourself trust you have a, a nervous system that's evolved through millions of years it knows what to do create the environment for it to flourish and then it it won't be a problem you know if you it's a you know kind of what i do if i'm battling with my back or my neck uh, and I think it's non-physical, you know, I kind of go, okay, well, where am I? You know, have I had a really rough week? You know, did this client's story really upset me? Did it trigger something in myself that I haven't, you know? So I ask these sort of inquiring questions. And if I feel that it might be, I kind of go, okay, well, perhaps it's that. 
And, you know, if I, if I can join those dots again, um, things tend to, tend to resolve themselves, you know. Or I go for a walk or I find now with running, you know, that movement the whole time, I tend to have less, less back pain. I know it sounds counterintuitive, but less back pain and less neck issues because I'm, I'm constantly moving that fascia, right, when I get up and run in the morning. So, sorry, it's a long, long answer to, to your question, but, you know, create that environment. Trust yourself, you know. You know what's best for you. And, again, we listen to authorities on social media and in life, and it, it's simply, I always say to people, don't forget, if someone is selling you something, if or they generally have a product that they're trying to push on you. So, yes, you might need this, but do you really, you know, if someone says to you, oh, you know, Sean, I'm sorry, we're going to have to amputate your leg, is that necessary or am I paying for a surgeon's beach house? You know, I've got to trust that <laughs> my, my uh, I can make my own decisions, you know, in terms of my health. And uh, please, I'm not saying, you know, don't go to doctors or whatever. There's, there's always, if you've got a gunshot wound, don't go for acupuncture, you know, yeah. <laughs> you, you get to the hospital. But you should know that, I would hope. So, yeah, you know, create that environment. Trust yourself. Um, again, your body knows, knows how to self-regulate. Just get out of your own way. Yeah. So <clears throat> what I'm hearing, I, I heard a lot of the word trust. And I think one one reason why I really appreciate that is because, you know, you you trust your intuition and your intuition, if you got a gunshot wound, will tell you to go to the doctor, not for acupuncture, right? You know, and there's there's something about this where there's this fear tactic um, in society that I'm not even going to say it comes from any one particular industry or a anything. I think we self-regulate each other with this fear that is like if something's not working, if something's not working, not working, not working, then we swing to the opposite end of the extreme. Yeah. And what you're saying is just like, no, don't throw away the option of going to the doctor. Just start introducing like microdose on some trust for your intuition. Like instead of immediately calling the doctor and ruling out that you need to engage with your own body at all, take a moment and introduce a little bit of communicating you know like mm. to put it to the test do you have intuition do you know how to communicate intuitively with your body does your body have anything it could teach you if you were to just sit like you know when you were mentioning like you know create the right environment well, a child knows when you're really paying attention or if yeah. you're answering their questions but still scrolling through instagram 100 percent right? You know, they, they just know. So how do they know? They're so young and so naive, right? No, like they, we all come with this radical intelligence and then we build stories on top of it. And I'd say that the only difference between children, you know, and adults in this one specific respect is we've become so intellectually sophisticated, we can lie to each other. And it works, mm. but with children, they see it on your face. They're like, "All right, I'm just going to let you believe what you're, what's coming out of your mouth, but I know the truth of it." Sure, it's because kids speak energy. Yeah, and that energy comes out in posture. It, it comes out in facial expressions. And uh, look, a dog—if you go like this to a dog, right—it's mm. going to know what you intend. 
If you get into 100%. that crouched position, like I'm about to pounce, they know that's a that's a word to them, and that's like yes. you know that's like attack, <laughs> right? So they get it, we get it, and there is an intuition. This is a language older than the actual like language that we're speaking, language. Like English mm. or whatever it might be. It operates in a different part of the brain. So with that being said, um, <clears throat> this has been. This is one of my favorite topics to talk about is the intelligence of the okay. body, how to get right with it, um, and the simplicity of instead of going for gadgets, instead of like, oh, well, I heard there's some red light therapy with some AI mm. algorithm, blah, 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 and you just stick it on your head for – and I'm not knocking any of the biohacking community or anything like that, but it's like go to that extreme if you've started with the simple basics. If you haven't sure. started with the simple basics, leave biohacking, you know, like go to arithmetic before you go to calculus, right? You know, start with the basics. And I feel like that's really what you're mentioning here is there's an intelligence. And if you just allow the spine some neutrality and the body mm. some recovery uh, time and and you create the same the conditions like you're not going to force a seed in the ground to grow you set the conditions and it will do it i feel like that seed is an analogy for how we come to heal and setting the conditions is like well maybe i'm not going to train today maybe i'm not going to let my coach calling me a pussy make me get up there and try and you know run 120k without a without a tire right you know yeah i think that's no, sure that's the main keys that I'm picking up on here. And I, I guess I just kind of want to round this out by saying, like, is there any is there anything that you are excited about moving into from here? Now that you've had you got 17 years of the basics and hands on with mm. clients, is there something that you you feel like is the next part of the journey for you? Oh, look. You know, the journey is constantly, constantly evolving. Um, I teach what I do, but on a very, I haven't taught for a while on a big scale. So I'm, I'm hoping to kind of get more into teaching uh, bone therapy. And so that, you know, we, we can spread it. I, I just think if, if everyone understood how the body functions, if everyone understood the role of fascia in the body, how it's, you know, it's this crystalline liquid matrix and how consciousness is affecting it. In terms of uh, family dynamics, how society treated each other. So I'd, I'd love to, you know, kind of just on a personal level, teach maybe a little bit more. Um, but again... I would want people to understand the more holistic functioning of what they are, you know, because, you know, we, we live in a very mechanistic world. We're being treated like bits of machinery, you know, cogs in, in a machine. And this is why we're having the issues we're having, health issues, because we are running our bodies like machinery as opposed to this, like, you know, I mentioned a bioenergetic being. And I think if people kind of took a step back and went, you know what, if I drop dead at my desk, they're just going to, you know, kick me out the chair and someone else will come in, in into that role in whatever <laughs> I'm doing. Y yeah, you know, I would, <coughs> excuse me, you know, you know, 
the holistic nature of life and how we are part of this ecosystem, I think life would be a lot easier for people, you know. Um, mm. And at the end of the day, that's really what we want. We, we want to live a happy life, you know, yeah. uncomplicated and, and you know, I haven't got quite figured out yet. I don't know what's happening when I leave this place. Um, if I got one shot, I want it to be a good one, you know, and I want it to be be happy. I, I don't want to be stuck, you know, making money for some random company just to pay bills for stuff I don't really want, you know. Yeah. So, again, I, I I wish people would be a bit more in touch, you know, in tune with, with themselves um, because I, I think a lot of our health issues would, would kind of disappear, we'd, we'd address them. Yeah, I agree. And I appreciate the the fact that you're mentioning teaching. I think teaching is the very obvious next role. Once you've learned something, once you've mastered it, mm. teaching others is is I've studied secret societies in the past and and even mm. all the way to the military. Everything operates in this tiered structure. You come in as a neophyte, then you're journeyman. You know, there's there's you know less gendered terminology as well. But then yeah, journeyman, yeah. and then a master, and the journeyman is still learning from the master while helping teach the neophyte, and the master is teaching both the journeyman and the neophyte. So really, it's like this Taurus. Like, you know, you're led up towards mm. the top and before you retire or die or whatever it might be, you're bringing people up into what you've learned um, and you're, you're passing on the wisdom to to younger generations. And so I think that's that's really brilliant. I appreciate the fact that that's um, that's what you're looking to do. I also I, I really I'm excited to see what a world would look like if we were far more in touch and in tune with ourselves and trusted mm. ourselves and trusted that that intuition inside us but also entrusted our community our friends and family the ones who spend a lot of time looking at us hearing our gripes all that kind of stuff rather than just going to a doctor that's going to look at us for seven minutes maybe not even look at us only look yeah. at his paper while talking to us <laughs> and think that that person has the best insight as to what i should do because they they learned this curriculum you mm. know so so with that being said man i just want to say thank you so much for taking the time um we really covered a lot of ground um i don't know uh i mean you're probably pretty set there in south africa but if you find yourself making it across to uh the united states you definitely have to let me know um I'll i will definitely, definitely. yeah I'm, I'm interested in looking deeper into bone therapy now as well and um please just keep in touch and uh, i appreciate you you're doing work that I definitely find is going to be the next path for me, which is a lot more hands-on. As you can see, this mm. is uh, your Instagram page. Ladies and gentlemen, you know, go check out his Instagram page, Sean Johnson underscore, what was that, structural, structural alignment? Medicine. Structural, structural medicine. medicine. Okay. Mm. Go check this out. Um, I mean, this is, this is deep, and this is really, again, you are – you are your body is the teacher that you you should be learning from you know it doesn't mean you can't have teachers outside of yourself but your body itself is a teacher and the more you learn that there are 
nuanced ways of listening to the body, uh, I think that's when our trust really starts to go through the roof because we realize, oh, this is the voice that's always been speaking. It's always yeah. here, you know? So, um, so thank you, man. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate this conversation. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. I've had uh, a really, really good conversation. It's been great. Yeah, thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, Sean Johnson, please check out his website, check out Bowen Therapy, and just go back through and listen to this. I mean, I feel like there was a lot of little tidbits that could be mined for a whole episode on themselves. It's really important to understand that your body is that one thing that you carry with you all your life. It doesn't matter, you know, with where you go, what you feed it, it's it's responding to all those things, but it's the one thing that you really want to, it's your teacher. So I'm just going to leave it at that. Um, Gordon and I try to bring you this quality conversation every single Thursday, 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. I appreciate you all for consistently coming out, checking out the, the guests that we have. Please go into the show notes. You can see Sean Johnson's uh, website, Instagram, all the information you need. And with that being said, ladies and gentlemen, I hope you enjoy the holidays coming up. Much love, and I'll catch you all next time on the Ben Stewart Podcast.